I love that video because I love watching you. You're starting to loosen up a little bit. I'm seeing more smiles, that music's going on. Stuart's over there playing the air guitar. You probably didn't see that going on. And some of you are, like I said last week, you're starting to kind of move your shoulder a little bit. So, you know, the Bible talks about dancing is okay. David danced before God. So I anticipate by the end of the summer, we'll all just be up in our chairs just dancing when that comes on for a few minutes. You know, I've been married 30 years. And um, when I first met my wife, our first date, her beauty just, just took me away. I mean, that was what attracted to me to her first. There's lots of other things that I began attracted to, but she was just so beautiful. And there were days that when we were were dating and we'd go out and I'm just thinking to myself, I never dreamed I would be so lucky to be standing next to somebody so beautiful and calling them my girlfriend or my soon-to-be wife. And so we got married and like all marriages, there's that honeymoon stage and about six months into our first year of marriage, she was still as beautiful as always, but I began noticing that my wife Denise would do things that I would just sometimes scratch my head. Now I wouldn't say it out loud, but I'm thinking, that's not the smartest thing to do. Or there's another way to do that. But we're on the honeymoon stage, right? So I didn't say anything. But about six months into our marriage, one day she did something. And I don't even remember what it was. But whatever it was, it just, those times as husbands, we just become kind of stupid ourselves, And we say things we shouldn't say. I'll never forget. I looked at her and I said, Denise, how can God make somebody so beautiful but yet so dumb? Yeah. You understand. She had not trained me like she has today. But I said that, Denise, how can God make somebody so beautiful but yet so dumb? And she didn't miss a beat. And she said, Keith, God made me beautiful so you would marry me. And he made me dumb so I'd marry you. So she put me right in my place on that day. But what I learned in that relationship, and I've learned over 30 years, I love my wife. She brings me great joy. But there are times in our relationship that I don't feel as much joy. Maybe it's a moment in time that we don't feel that joy. Maybe it's a season in your marriage you don't feel as much joy. Probably if you've been married more than two days, you know what I'm talking about, right? But here's what I've also learned. It's not just in marriage. As we think about any kind of relationship, there's always moments in that relationship or even seasons in those relationships that we don't always experience the same joy. You may have a neighbor that didn't bring you joy. You may have a coworker that doesn't bring you joy. You may have a sibling. You may have a family member. But there's all kinds of relationships that we have around us that don't always bring us the same joy every moment of every day. And I think that's normal. But the problem with that normalcy is we begin to accept that as the new norm. Instead of pursuing joy in our relationships, we just begin settling and we end up having more people around us that frustrate us than we do that people have joy around us. And when somebody frustrates us enough, we just go to a new person and try to find joy, but then we end up getting frustrated with that relationship or that person. And then we go to a new friend, a new family member to hang out with, a new coworker, and it seems like every time you go to a new person, some of that joy always goes away. Well, have you ever stopped to think the common denominator in all those relationships? It's yourself. It's me. And so joy is not always found in that person. It's our approach to that relationship. And we've started this new series called Whatever. And here's what we're doing in the series. We are studying the book of Philippians. And we say the book of Philippians. It's actually a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi. And he was writing not to a bunch of people he had never met before. He was writing to some of his best friends. Paul had done not just church with these people, he had done ministry, he had done life with these people several years earlier. In fact, when he first moved to Philippi, some of these people he's writing the letter to in the church, they had become his best lifetime friends, and they had supported him through thick and thin. And so he's writing this letter to them, and Paul's purpose in the letter to the church of Philippi is to help them find joy, not just in relationships, but all areas of their life. 
and what he had learned and found out about his friends back in Philippi, they were losing some of that joy that God intended for them. And so he sets out, sets out and he writes this letter to help them find joy in their lives in lots of different areas. And the area that we're going to focus on today that Paul writes about is indeed relationships. And so we're going to read the first, first, first 11 verses of the book of Philippians. Again, I say the book of Philippians. We should just call it all summer the letter to the Philippians because I think it makes it more understandable. Because as I read this to you today, that's the most important thing you remember. It's a letter, not a business letter, not a formal letter, not a generic letter. It's Paul sitting down and he's probably seeing and imagining the very people that he's going to write this letter to. Now, we don't know this for sure, but knowing Paul and his heart for these people, I wonder sometimes as he's writing this letter to his friends to find joy, I wonder sometimes if even there's a couple of tears that he shed thinking, oh, my friends aren't in a good place right now. My friends aren't experiencing all that God has for them right now in these areas. And so he's not writing some generic letter. Think of it, he's writing it to people that he loved, people that he knew, people that he shared life with. In fact, as I read these first verses to you, here's what I'd like you to do. Every time Paul says you in the letter, I want you to pause and replace your name in the letter. And here's why I want you to do that. Because though Paul was writing this letter 2,000 years ago to the church of Philippi, it is a letter for you and I today. And so as he's talking about finding joy in relationships, he's not giving advice for some people that lived a long time ago. He's truly giving you you and I advice in our own lives. And I think if Paul was standing here right now and looking at us, he'd say, listen, church, South Sub Church, my friends, I want you, God wants you to find joy in all of your relationships. And what he's going to do in these first 11 verses, give really really four principles for for finding or rediscovering this joy that we might have lost. So let's start off by reading it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. Remember, it's not a book. It's not a form letter. It's a personal letter. When I say the word you, put your name in the place. So it's from Paul, in verse 1, from Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. We could probably put there, to all of South Sub Church in Littleton, Colorado, together with the overseers and the deacons. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes in verse 3, I thank God, my God, every time I remember you. Pause there for a second. Put your name in the place of you. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, until for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Do you see how personal that was? Do you see how Paul was not writing some form letter, some generic letter to somebody he's never met? It was individually to them. 
And I read that, and I'm going, not only was he writing it to them, you could sense his joy in them. You could sense this affirmation. You could sense this love that Paul had for his friends back in Philippi. And so the first thing that goes to my mind as I read that is, how did Paul have that kind of joy for those people when most of the letters I might write or emails or text to people, I have more frustration for them than I do joy? Are you with me on that one? So let me outline today. Here's what we're going to do. You've got your outline. You can fill these blanks in. There's four principles that I think Paul shows us. Here's how you find joy in your relationships. And here's the first principle that he put on there. And this is because you're first filling the blank. Be grateful for people. That was the first thing that Paul did. Look back in verse 3 with me. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Let me give you a little bit more context of Paul's time when he was in Philippi. It wasn't, while he might have had great friends and great relationships, it wasn't the easiest, best of times. In fact, he'd stayed there a couple of years as he founded this church and built these relationships. But the book of Acts lets, lets us know that while he was in Philippi, he was accused of a crime that he didn't commit. And in this accusation, we often think, you know, you're, 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 you're not guilty until proven guilty. Not on this moment. That Paul was taken, uh, taken back while he was there in the street, and the guards there humiliated and beat him before they ever got him back to the jail cell. And once they got him back to the jail cell, there was some more humiliation. There was some more beating going on. So he was just in a bad physical place. Paul wasn't even sure that he would ever get out of jail when he was in jail there in Philippi for this thing he didn't do. And finally, he was released. Now, I don't know about you, but if I have a bad moment, if I have a bad season, if I have a traumatic experience like that, here's, what I'm gonna re- here's how I respond to it. I will wipe my hands, wipe the dust off my feet, and say, see ya. And as I say, see ya, I'll probably forget anybody involved, not just in that bad situation that was even around kind of the circumference of it. Because here's how I, what I do. I will use my circumstances, difficult circumstances, and I will filter all of my emotions through the difficult circumstances, and many times I'm no longer grateful for the people who are surrounding those circumstances, whether they had something to do with it or not. I let circumstances dictate my emotions. I let circumstances dictate my response. I let circumstances dictate how I'm going to move forward, and many times, like, see ya, I'm out of here. But Paul didn't do that. He accepted the circumstances for what they were, but he kept his eyes on the people that he had friendships with, and he stayed grateful for them. And so one of the principles that we can learn if we're going to have joy in our relationships is to make sure that we are grateful and keep our eyes on the people around us, even when there's bad circumstances. But here's another thing I've learned. Many times I forget about the people I'm no longer grateful for them even when I have good circumstances around me. Let me explain. I, just like yourself, my wife and I have a roof over our head. We have a car to drive. We never worry about putting gas in that car. We woke up this morning, if you're like me, I've already had two muffins, not just one muffin, so I'm not hungry. If I look around me, I've got more things to do, more places to go, more people to do things with all around me, so I have good stuff all around me. But too many times I get focused on the stuff and not the people. And I focus on the stuff, and things aren't the way I want them to be, and I'm no longer grateful for the people because I'm not even thinking about the people those stuff is made for. If you don't believe me, take a trip with me this summer to Disney World. After we pay $150 million to buy a ticket, we'll walk into the park, right? 
and on nine, at 9 o'clock in the morning, you will see more smiles. You don't need smiley faces at 9 o'clock in the morning. Everybody's excited. Kids are excited. Mom and dad's excited. Got a million dollars worth of entertainment all around you. And so we can have a good time together as a family. Stick around about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Stick around about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Find your little bench on, on there in the amusement park and just watch those families. You've got kids fighting kids, mom fighting dad, dad fighting kids. I mean, it's just like, look at you, kid. I spent a lot of money. You're going to have a good time here whether you like it or not. All this stuff, good stuff. But too many times the attention gets focused on the stuff and we lose sight of the very reason families are at the amusement park to begin with. Now, that doesn't just happen at parks. That also happens at churches. God gave us this beautiful building. God gave us beautiful services and beautiful worship. God gave us beautiful classes and vacation Bible school and all the things that God gives us at church. But you know why he gave the church to us? For each other. God has no desire to build bigger buildings so we'll have nicer churches to go to. He lets us build bigger buildings so the people have a place together. But you go to any church on a Sunday morning and too often people are frustrated about the pews they sit in. You're in my seat. That's not going to make me very happy. About the problems going on in the church or even the preferences they want at the church. And we make the church all about me, 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 me. And we lose sight of the very joy of the church, which is the relationships that we have with one another. And so Paul is reminding us, if we want to have joy in our relationships, we have to be grateful for the people, regardless if it's good circumstances or good st- bad circumstances or good stuff. Our focus should be on the people. As I mentioned earlier about, you know, finding joy in relationships, you probably thought of one person in your mind going, I don't really find joy in that relationship. Would you do me a favor? If you're taking notes, would you write that name down? If the person's sitting next to you, you can just write a code or something so they don't know they're talking about that person. That'd be kind of awkward. But write that name down. Okay? If you're not taking notes, just kind of think of a person in your mind. Who's that person? You're going, I don't really find joy with that. Okay, I'm going to ask you to write a second name down. This is the harder name. There are some people in our lives that we just don't find joy in. There's other people in our lives that we just don't like. It's a, it's a deeper frustration. It's a deeper dislike. It's, it's less joy. Here's what Paul is saying in this one. God wants us to find joy in all relationships. The ones you like, the ones you dislike. And so as we continue working through Paul's letter here, I want you to be thinking of those two names. But just begin with right now, just going, I'm writing their name down, and here's my challenge for you. This week, will you take time just to be grateful for them? I didn't say take them to dinner. Didn't say buy them a new car. Just in your own mind, will you take the time to think about that person and simply say, Jesus, thank you for that person. So that's the first step. Here's the second thing Paul says. Not only should we be grateful for people, we should practice positive praying. That's your second blank to fill in there. Practice positive praying. Here's what he says in verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I find myself, I don't pray necessarily joy and blessings on people. I pray my will on people. God, would you help so-and-so to start acting this way? And when I say this way, I'm usually thinking my way. 
Would you help so-and-so start acting this way or doing this? So I'm praying my will where there's no wonder that if all I'm doing is praying my will on people, I have no joy for that person because I wouldn't be praying my will on that person if they were doing the things that I want them to do. Do you follow that line of thinking? That's crazy thinking, isn't it? Welcome to our world of thinking. And what Paul is saying is here, stop praying your will on people. He's saying simply practice positive praying. In other words, pray a blessing on that person. I remember when I was in the seventh grade, I played football, and I had a coach on my football team that I did not like, and I was convinced he didn't like me. I felt like he was always picking on me. I thought he was always asking me to do more than any of the other players were doing. I thought he was bullying me. I just didn't like him because I thought he was so mean. And I would go home after practice every day, and I would fuss and complain to my dad. And after about a week, one day, my dad said, Keith, I I don't know what to do about this coach. He said, but let's do this. Why don't we just start praying for him every day? I thought, my dad's the smartest man I've ever known. Let's pray that a bus runs him over or that he dies of a heart attack. Let's pray, Dad. Come on, get on our knees. Let's pray. And he goes, no, no, no. Don't just pray that. I want us to pray a prayer of blessing on him. Let's pray every day that God would bless his life. As a seventh grade boy, I could not comprehend that. That did not make sense. Why would you pray a blessing over someone who's frustrating you? Why would you pray a blessing over someone who is mean to you? I'm like, God, Dad, it doesn't make sense. (laughs) And my dad, in great wisdom, said, Keith, the things of God don't always make sense. Let's just try it. Let's pray God blesses him. And so every day I did my prayers, God, would you bless coach? Would you bless coach? Would you bless? And I, I didn't mean it. I think I probably prayed through gritted teeth, but I'm like, my dad told me I should. So God, would you bless him? Would you bless him? As the season progressed in seventh grade, when we finished my football year, my fo- the season of football, guess who my favorite coach was? That coach. Now, here's what I recognized. I don't know if he changed. Honestly, looking back, was he as mean to me and picked on me as I thought? But as a seventh grader, that's what I felt. I don't know if he changed, but here's what I guarantee it changed. My heart changed. And I've learned over the years that when we pray a positive prayer for somebody, when we pray a prayer of blessing over somebody, God doesn't necessarily change them, but he will change our heart. And so as you think about the couple of people that you wrote down there, here's my second challenge. Don't just be grateful for them this week. Pray a blessing over their life. You're going to keep a blessing like, that's too broad. Can you, can you help me a little bit more specific? Actually, in verses 9 through 11, Paul gives us some very specific ways that we can pray blessings over them. And here's what they are. He says, pray this. Pray that that person will grow in God's love. Now, isn't that a great blessing to pray over somebody? You're not trying to change who they are. You're just saying, may they understand who God is. In fact, he said it in this way, your love may abound in those people. Here's the second thing. He says, pray a prayer of blessing. Pray that this individual makes a wise choice. Notice not my choice I want them to make, just a wise choice. Here's the third prayer that you can pray for them. Pray that they will do the right thing. And the right thing is God's way, not my way. And then here's the fourth one. Pray they will live for God's glory. Those are four simple things. You can fill in the name in there. God, I pray that so-and-so would live in for your glory. Pray, God, I pray that so-and-so will grow in your love. And those are great prayer blessings, positive prayers to pray over somebody. And so this week, challenge number two. It's more than just wearing a smiley face button that we're getting into because we learned in the smiley face button in our memory verse, it's hear these things, change our thinking, and then change our actions. So we're going to begin to change our actions as we pray for them. 
Here's the third thing Paul says. Not only should you be grateful for them, not only should you pray prayer blessings for them, you should be also be patient with people's progress. Be patient with people's progress. Here's what it says in verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, Paul saw th- two things in people. He saw their future, and he, see their, and he sees their also their potential. I usually default to two other things. I see their problems, and I see their past. Like, it's really hard for me to be joyful about you because I've seen all the dumb things you've done your whole life. It's really hard for me to be joyful about you because I've seen how you've hurt me all the times in your life. All I'm looking is the past, 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 and then I see the problems they are. And Paul's going, no, 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 you're focusing in the wrong direction. We need to be focusing in the future of what God is currently and will do in their lives. I have a confession I need to make, and, and I've been wanting to make this confession to you for several weeks, but I wanted to make sure it was right. Because, you know, sometimes if you confess publicly, people take it the wrong way and think less of you. So I, I, I hope as a church family we're where we can make a confession. If you follow me and check me out very closely, you will find there are things that are undone in my life, unfinished. For example, if you follow me out to my Jeep, I still have a Texas license plate. <laughs> if, if you ask to see my driver's license, it's a California driver's license, okay? So there's just things in my life that I have not completed. I mean, I hope to get there one day, but right now, they're not where they're supposed to be. And I've worried about what you think about me, but I'm even more worried about what that policeman's going to think when he stop, pulls me over. <laughs> And I've already got my mind made up. In fact, let me just say this. <laughs> this is not throwing stones, but I actually went to the DMV last week to get my new license. I don't know if you've had to change over from a different state to Colorado recently. I honestly think it'd be easier to go get DNA from my deceased father's grave. He died 30 years ago than all the things they're asking me for. I need a birth certificate certified. I mean, there's four or five things and I'm going, I don't have these things. So I'm trying. So when the policeman, if the policeman pulls me over, This is what I'm going to ask him or say to him, officer, God is still growing me and I'm not who I am today, who I'll be tomorrow. So will you just have grace and forgiveness for me? Okay. I've rehearsed that. God is still, I'm a work in progress. God is still working with me. So will you just have grace and forgiveness? And I would mean that from the bottom of my heart. And it wouldn't be just something I'm saying. And not only do I mean it from the bottom of my heart, I'm hoping he receives it from the bottom of his heart as well. Now, you know what's funny about that? Why can't we respond to the people around us with that same thing and that same attitude? If we hope an officer, a police officer who pulls us over for something we did wrong will give us grace and forgiveness, yet the people around us, we're so ready to jump on them because they're not who we want them to be right now. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is he was confident that whoever the Philippians were today is not who they'll be tomorrow. Because God began a good work in them, and it's going to be God who takes it to the completion of who God wants them to be. And you and I need to have the same patience with the people's progress around us as we want people to be patient with us in our progress. Can you imagine what life would be like if we all had that kind of patience? Can you imagine what life would be like in your family if you had that kind of belief in another person? Going, okay, you kind of stole my joy today because of this decision you made or what the steps you're taking in your life, but here's what I know. I'm not going to let this steal my joy in you because God is still working with your life right now. Wouldn't that bring life into families? 
wouldn't that bring life into neighbors? Wouldn't that bring, bring life into your coworkers, your relationships you have with them? Wouldn't that just bring life to all of us if we had that kind of attitude? We must give people as much room to grow and develop as God gives us. Let me say that again. We must give people as much room to grow and develop as God gives us to grow and develop. And so here's my challenge for you as you think about those two people. What kind of room are you going to give them this week? Make sure you're giving them as much room as you need in your own life. Here's the fourth and last one. If we're trying to have the joy in our relationships and take back this joy in our relationships, here's the fourth thing we need to do that Paul outlines. We need to love people like Jesus loves people. Or put another way, we need to love people like Jesus loves you. Boy, that makes it personal right there, doesn't it? When I step back and think how much Jesus loves me, how much he puts up with me, what he did to take me in as his own child, that's a whole lot of love. In fact, Philippians 1.8 says this, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. You get this sense that when Paul was writing to the Philippians, he wasn't just thinking of them of people that he knew three years ago when he planted his church. He's thinking them through the very filter of how Jesus loved those people. It's almost like Paul is putting himself in the place going, I have no choice but to love you as deeply as Jesus loves you. And that's some pretty deep love. And here's what I've learned about loving people. Loving people begins when we begin to understand why they act the way they do. I get frustrated simply because they act the way they do. But if I take a time and step back and understand what's behind that behavior, what's behind their decisions, what's behind their actions, and who they are and and what brought them to this point, all of a sudden I realize it makes loving them a little bit easier. You know, I had you write down a couple of people on your list to begin um, having more joy this week. I have a couple of people on my list, and as I got to this point and I was studying and thinking, asking God to use in my own life, God goes, you've got another one on your list, number three. This individual, number three, I didn't even want to put on my I don't have joy list because I don't even like this person, okay? They have brought me more pain. They have brought me more frustration. They have brought me more hurt over the years. And it's almost like I'm just kind of going, done. Yet God brought this person to my mind and said, Keith, you need to have joy in all relationships. And then I began thinking about this person and thinking about their whole life, the 20 or 30 years about their life before I ever knew them. And here's what I know about them. They grew up in a dysfunctional family, didn't have the best life growing up. And so a lot of their adult behavior is really just still some of the toxic life they grew up in as a child. And, and not that we can justify their choices, not that we can just, to justify their behavior, but it helps me understand why they do some of the things they do. Are you with me? And all of a sudden, when I begin to step back from me and I begin to look at them and try to understand why they make some of the choices they do, all of a sudden, God began to give me a different grace and gave me a different vision in their life. In fact, I'll put it another way. God gave me affection for them in a way I've never had before because I saw them in all of their life. And I realized the way they are now could have been a lot worse. They've made some progress over the years. They just may never get completely well. In fact, in fact, here's what I've learned about life. We're just a bunch of broken people, aren't we? Okay, and here's what I know about broken people. 
Broken people do broken things. Hurting people do hurtful things. And so the most of people in our lives, I guarantee you, there's no one who maliciously, maliciously said, I'm going to make you mad. I'm going to steal your joy. I'm going to do this to you. Nobody maliciously does that. Most of the time, it comes out of just some kind of ugly residue in their life that's coming out. Are you with me? And so when I begin to understand them a little bit more, again, not justify their behavior. We can still have expectations for somebody, and sometimes it's good in relationships to have boundaries around them so they can't even get that close to you. There's nothing wrong with that. But I can still have joy in a relationship even when I put healthy boundaries around me. And so understanding them helps me love them the way Jesus. In fact, I look at my life, and sometimes I wonder if Jesus just kind of puts his head on, the, uh, head on his hand sometimes. He's going, really? Are you ever going to get it? But then I know Jesus has an affection for me, an affection that he knows where I started and where I'm at now, an affection knowing I'm not where I need to be, but I'm moving to where I need to, where I'll be going someday. And all of a sudden, I've sensed God wrap, Jesus wrap his loving arms around me and says, I love you for who you are today. And I think about the people in my list, and I'm going, I need to have that kind of affection for those kind of people. They may never respond in the affectionate way that I want them to or need them to, but that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is simply to love them with the affection of Jesus. And then that will bless their lives. And so as you think about the people you wrote on your list, here's what I wonder. Do you have, will you take the challenge to love them with the affection of Jesus this week? And, and here's the way I go about that. First of all, if you want to love somebody with that kind of affection, see them as Jesus sees them, and then see them as God sees you. Notice that double filter there? First see them as Jesus sees them, and then use that same filter to see them as God sees you. And lastly, just ask God to give you the affection for them. <laughs> I wonder this week, if our prayer was, God, would you have, give me the affection for so-and-so the way you love me? And I wonder if God's going, Wow. That's the prayer I've been waiting for a long time. You may not have that full affection on Monday or that full affection on Tuesday, but it's the beginning to stepping towards the joy that God has for us in that relationship. And so here's what I know when I think about relationships. God designed you and I for two relationships, a vertical relationship with God and a horizontal relationship with other people. And when we're not living in joy with other people, this relationship that's not right will always affect this relationship. Or when we're driving and living and striving to be closer to God in a vertical relationship, it should automatically drive us to love people horizontally. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I get weary going, God, do I have to love again? Do I have to love again? Do I have to love again? And guess what he says every time? Yep. Because I loved you, but you loved them. But I know this. That life is too short to not live in joy in relationships. I want to live my life with other people with no regret. I want to love them as deep as I possibly can. Because I know through my deep loving them, guess whose deep love they'll really experience? God's deep love. And so church, joy in relationships is not about us. It's about them. Joy in relationships is about him, not us. 
And my prayer this week is that we will find that joy that Paul talks about here in Philippians. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. And sometimes your word challenges challenges me more than I want to be challenged. And sometimes your word puts me in uncomfortable places that it's just easier, God, just to kind of wallow in my non-joyful self. So thank you for your word this morning that challenged us. Thank you, God, more than your word, Jesus. Thank you for your life, and thank you for the life of Paul that, that gives us a model to live by. And I pray this, that we as a church and as individuals would find the joy in relationships that you designed us to have. May we be grateful. May we pray prayer blessings on people. May we be patient. And may we love them with affection of Jesus. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.